Five Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 39, and our book is Brutal Cunning by Mike Brooks. It is the continuing inventions, inv- inventions, adventures of Uthak Blackhawk as they attempt to take over the Forge World Hephaesto. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via the site, Twitter, YouTube, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this podcast as we're going to be talking about it from in great detail from start to finish. Let's dive in. So I've changed up our question a little bit and asked, was this book what the pain boy ordered? Boy. Uh, sure, if you're gonna put it like that, yeah, yeah, sure. It's what the pain, the pain boy ordered. I really enjoyed this book. I laughed out loud so many times. Oh yeah, like this. It was very funny. It was pretty much what I wanted out of this book. Just something super funny. Um, I loved learning orc culture and their reasoning for things. It's just, I, I got nothing for it. It's just. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I found it very funny. Uh, again, laugh out loud funny. But it reminded me spiritually of Shroud of Night last year, where at the end there, it's just insanity. You have a traitor Astartes, a demon engine, corrupt or inept Mechanicus, Grotz, rivaling orc clans, a volcano. <laughs> it was just, it kept, it felt like, Every time something else happened, I was like, oh my gosh. It just, it had that very cinematic action movie quality to it, which I really dug. Yeah, and even the Mechanicus had their, their funny moments. Like when, oh, for sure. Like when Zepha, you know, discovered the Iron Warrior just kind of hiding out in her apartment. And she's running through protocols and she realized that there was no protocol for dealing with a, <laughs> a traitor, traitor Astartes, like, that cracked me up. <laughs> like what? She was like, oh, well, there isn't one of these. <laughs> I found that very funny. Um, that actually, and we're going to talk a lot more about this later, but I loved just how calculating the, the Mechanicus are and how very regimented they are. And there are a lot of scenes in the book that I think really encapsulated that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what parts stood out to you? Well, I started writing down some, and then I was like, I'm going to be writing down the whole book. So I stopped. I stopped writing. Uh, I had something similar. <laughs> there's a few things like, you know, like can't be hard because Humies can do it. Um, I think my favorite, one of my favorite lines was aiming was for cowards. <laughs> I love that. that. I actually highlighted that and wrote it down as well, because that was hysterical to me when he talked about not aiming because it's for cowards. I was like, that is orc. Like, that's totally what orcs would think. Right, and I wrote down a page. Okay, mech boys, human or orc, they were all downright odd, and that wasn't into it. It's like, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. I loved that. (laughs) I loved when he, when they come across the force field, and he's trying to attack it, and he's like, the bloody cheek of this thing. Right. the whole thing where he talks about how do the humies weaponize air? <laughs> and then when he's, he kept referring to it being cheeky. And I thought that was hilarious. 
Like, because it was very much an orc thing to think, right? right. That it's not this inanimate technology. It's it's a it's a it's a thing, and the thing is feeling things. Well, I mean, which this, cracked me up. I mean, it's rich coming from a race that puts rockets on a literal boulder. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and I loved. That's like he just was trying to like you know, punch his way through it. So let me ask you this. What was your favorite triumph from Uthak? Because he had taking down the Gargant. He had um, killing the demon engine. He took down the force field. He was the other big thing. Oh, he got into the the uh, beaky armor, um, which was hysterical, too. When he's talking yeah. about the armor and he's like, it's kind of dumb. But man, Humies are good at making this stuff. <laughs> You're right. Because well, because we're they're so squishy, right? Exactly, right. What did he say? He thought it was so stupid that they had armor to wear over their armor. It's like, well, you know, I, I laughed really hard at that because when that thing was first revealed, the like Walker thing for the the Primaris to get in, man, the memes on Reddit were fire about it, but mostly about the armor and the armor and, of course, the yo-dog. <laughs> so, when he made that comment, I thought that was hilarious. Oh, I also appreciated that when they were on the grav tanks and he was like, well, these things go fast, but of course they do because they're red and red ones do go faster. Yes, I... like, Yeah, the, the, the red, you know, the red ones go faster, you know, got mentioned several times, but it never felt old even though we all know that joke just because the way he mentioned it was just like well because of course red ones go faster so and well it was like you could tell that it was just a natural thought process right. to him like if you ever think about like how many times during a day do you encounter something and it works the way it's supposed to or something and you're like well yeah because of this thing right so it just seemed like a very natural like well red ones do go faster i also liked it that they were just so miffed about the grav tanks because they're just like how can you tell what you're doing without bumps around and you're feeling your spine being squenched i'm like what is wrong with you i loved that and they were like there's no bumps i loved they talked about that and when it's when they made that sharp turn and he was like well that's kind of neat because it didn't squeal out on the dirt and stuff right. like i thought that was absolutely great I, I just, I find it funny that they have their own perspective on how things go. Yes. And it almost doesn't have a rhyme or reason to it, but it makes perfect sense to them. Right. You know, so like, for example, one thing I found funny was when Zepha comes down and she sees Uthak in that armor and she's like, that's mine. <laughs> you know, and then he's watching them get away with stuff and he's like, well, they stole it because I invaded here, so therefore everything in here is mine. So therefore it was stolen. Oh my stolen. god. <laughs> like, oh my god. That cracked me up. When he got in there. Well, actually, I also liked when he's talking with Nizquick and he's just like, well, what would you do if you wanted to keep people away? Well, I'd run away with it. That's what they're doing. And then, yeah, when they get there and they're like, wait, we're here, so this is now all ours. Right. Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. And I love how one of the things that really surprised me about the orcs, and it's the way that Mike Brooks wrote them and did such a good job with it, is how logical they are. Like, 
in their own way. Right. But how everything that Uthak encountered, he processed to reason it and be like, oh, well. And a lot of times it was just Humies. Like, these guys are so weird. Like, even well, if he just dismissed it as weirdness. So, like, for example, when he gets into the armor and he yells at that one orc to give him his shooter back and he throws it at him and when he grabs it, he accidentally you know, hits the trigger and blows off the orc's leg and everyone's laughing about it and he was like, well, he'll laugh one day too when he right. thinks about it. <laughs> okay. And he's like, and everybody ran, well, except for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Or like when he was talking about um, when he looks up and he's like, man, I would bet like Uthak would bet his best shooter or maybe somebody else's shooter. Right. <laughs> Just how casually and like when he talks about like how he would never touch another guy's weapon unless it was a better weapon and then he would just take it. Like, because that just makes sense so, in orc logic. Right. As one does. So, okay. So. How well did all the different point of view chapters work together, do you think? Because we get to follow an iron warrior, a literal demon, Uthak, uh, Zaytha, and then Secular Matranda. Who, Zaytha and Matranda, they're both Mechanicus, but they are slightly different flavors of Mechanicus. Oh, 100%. Um, actually, I kind of liked getting the demon's point of view. Because you really don't get a demon's point of view. Not often, do you? I I think the only other time I did was in uh, the sixth Uriel Ventress book. And right. Because that demon was planning stuff because, uh, uh, what's his name? Hansa was just like, yeah, I'll let him think that he's in charge, but <laughs> if they kill him, right. that just saves me some time <laughs> type thing. But that was like the only time that we got that I have seen from a demon's point of view. And it was just kind of interesting how this one went because he's like oh my god those things are here I'm going to kill those things oh but there's a really big I thing so I'm going to go get that first loved love that he called them the abhorrence mm -hmm. like because it makes it because you know they have no soul so they have no real presence to demons or really they have no use demons have no use for them so I find it very and I loved when he was going through about how they don't even enjoy it. Like, they're not even, like, corn worshippers. Right. Like, this is just their programming. And I loved how just disgusted he was. But that the Mecha Gargant was an effigy to Gork and Mork. And therefore, that does make it a worthy target. Right. But I, the thing that I thought was really interesting, and I didn't get this as much from um, Rites of Passage, but... I knew that Mike Brooks was a talented author, but this book really speaks to his talent because the chapters, it's like you're reading Uthak's chapters and they're very kind of silly, kind of crazy. His crazy logic, you get a really good feel for how he thinks. And then you go over to the Mechanicus. The Mechanicus are very cold and very calculating and they are wholly different voice than that of the Uthak chapters. And then you get to Gavrik Dalen and even his are very different. Mm -hmm. from the rest of them and secular matranda's chapters are slightly different than zafa's chapters like he really stepped into those roles and i thought i thought it made for such a wonderful reading experience because um, you really yeah, got to understand yeah. them yeah i really enjoyed that like i like this book you know 100 times more than than rite of passage but that was just because there was like nobody and there's no character in rite of passage i even cared about or liked i mean it was a well-written book just because they were bored rich people it was a well-written book i just 
didn't care about it. This right. one, uh, I mean, th- did I really care about the orcs? Not so much. It was funny. But did I care if Uthak died at the end? Probably not. But I did care about Zepha. I was deeply emotionally invested in Uthak's story by the end. When he went to face the demon engine, I actually said, again, I was reading this aloud to my husband, doing my worst Cockney accent that I could. And um, I, <laughs> I even said to my husband, I was like, if he kills Uthak, I'm going to be pissed. Because I'm very emotionally invested in this orc story. And when I got to the end, my first thought was, what next? Well, I, I so, liked how they referenced, actually, the short story. Yes. When he was... I'm so glad I read that, by the way. Oh, right. Yes, because it was an offhand comment, so it wouldn't really mean anything. But if you had read it, it does mean a lot. Because it's like, oh, yeah, he did try to do that. And, oh, that's right. Yep. That was how he was killed. And that's why he had to get a head transplant. Yep. So, okay, let me ask you this. Because speaking of Zepha, I loved Zepha as well. What was your take on Yavanos and Ilatar? Do you think Zepha was... Because remember, she, she posited to herself two theories. Either these people are grossly incompetent. Mm-hmm. Or they're corrupt. You know, I feel like we didn't get enough proof that that they were corrupt. I honestly think they were just grossly incompetent. And um, Illator just kind of reminded me of that boss that just takes credit for everything. This guy who thinks he's smarter than he really is. And he dismisses anything that could possibly be a good good idea because that's not his idea. But then yes, when he reminded me very much of a CEO. Right. But then when he sees that, yes, evacuation is correct. He's like, oh, well, you know, is everything ready? She's like, what? You mean the evacuation that I ordered? <laughs> and he's just like, what? Now, it was interesting that they were armed. They were fully armed. I found that very interesting. But I don't think it was exactly for the reasons that, that she gave. I think you're right. My take on that, because I also agree with the gross incompetence. I... We're going to talk more about this in a second with Zepha. I My take was that these two people were grossly incompetent. And then once they realized that they were hosed, once they realized that, oh no, we're going to die, their first priority was let's go and arm ourselves mm-hmm. so we can take care of ourselves and get us off the planet because we're the most important people here. Right. They really did remind me of really the, the stereotypical CEO of a company with their golden parachute, right? Like, right. look, we're prepared. Doesn't We don't care about anybody else. So, I agree with you there, but... They get down there and demanding where their stuff is. You know? Right. I mean, they kind of reminded me almost at that point, you know, if, you've, if you ever saw the movie Titanic, one with Leonardo DiCaprio, but, you know, the rich people you know, waiting yep. for for the boats. And they were like, well, surely they're going to separate the boats by class, right? And they, they do have our luggage, right? And which is just, that's exactly how it was. Like they, they talked about how the boats were not full when they first were, were putting them down because they, they're keeping the classes separate. Well, and because, you know, we want people to be comfortable. Right, right. Never mind the fact crowded. we're all going to die. But, you know. Right. And I, I, I thought of that too. I actually thought of rites of passage. They very much reminded me of we are upper class people, mm. so we're more important. They, those two, very much reminded me of that vein. And um, 
<laughs> I think you can see that, and there's a lot of authors in the Black Library catalog like this. You can definitely see Alec Worley, I think, is probably one of the biggest ones. Um, you can see that he has a pretty good contempt for like the elites of the Warhammer 40k universe because of how removed they are from the struggle. You know, it's not even just the elites, it's the Karens. Oh, so Ilatar was definitely a Karen. Yavanos? I think she was just, oh my god, out of touch. What did she remind me of? Okay, so actually, this reminded me of so badly. Um, long time ago, when I was in college, some of you guys were probably just born. There was a cartoon, a cartoon network called The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. And it was one of those that just yep. blew everybody's mind because it had 3D and 2D technology in it. But anyway, there was this one episode that haunted my nightmares forever. And it's this one where there's an underwater base. And it's like this kind of just basically this whole little village that they built underwater. It's on the seafloor and everything. Let's not get into the details, but how impossible that is, just go with it. Well, while exploring, there was like a, an earthquake down below, which we know happens often in the seafloor. And out of it rose like this kind of catacombs and there was these horrible creatures. Well, what do these creatures do? They eat everybody. That's just kind of what it is. So now they're just trying to flee for their lives because this thing, these things can eat through metal and everything either. So even getting into the city, they're not safe. Um, at one point they trick them and running in because they've broken everything into this water tunnel and then they take a, a broken cable and throw it in there just as they hop out to electrocute everybody well the one scientist that's with them she's like well I think that they're all dead so she deactivates the cable and they're like what are you doing she's like well I have to study one of them what kind of scientist would I be without it and what happens she goes in there just guess right right that that's the first thing I thought of with uh, Yavranos, Yavrana, whatever her name is. Yavranos reminded me more of Alien or Aliens, probably Alien a bit too, but Aliens especially with the Paul uh, the Paul Reiser character of when he wants to bring one of the Xenomorphs back to Earth, and well, why on Earth would you want to do that? the weapons potential of this creature, right? The need to study this. And it was very much, again, that removed. I'm right. so removed from the danger here. So like when she wanted to capture the Mega Gargant, no, no, honey, no. This is not happening. Survival so, first. Right. Studies when, after. <laughs> that also was hysterical when they net, when they start netting the orcs and they're like, What? Like, he was so incensed and offended that they would net him. I thought that was also hysterical. But here's the thing that I wonder about Seifa, because they kind of dropped this nugget. So she has, and we're going to talk a lot more about this later, but she has this weird device in her room. <laughs> that which Iron Warrior wants. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, we know it's Xenos in Origin. And remember, as soon as he says, he's like, okay, you think it's Xenos? And she, or he's like, of course it's Xenos. And she's like, okay, I kind of knew. Like, internally, she's like, yeah, I kind of knew that. I guess I was kind of telling myself that no, it wasn't. So I wasn't a total heretic for keeping it. But yeah, I probably knew that this was... Like, part of me wonders if there's some sort of subtle corruption going on with her. And that's why she was so quick to assume with the other guys. But then also, 
it could just be because she's so logical that she's like, okay, I've run the numbers. Well, I think, you know, going back to Dark Imperium, you know, Reboot talked about, you know, I mean, we had the, the, by the way, last 100 years, this is what's happened. One of the things he talked about how he pissed off the Mechanicus because he wouldn't let them take off with Xeno's ships to study. So that's actually what I kind of thought of. It's just that they are just, and you saw this a lot as well, just so hungry for that knowledge without thinking about the wisdom of what they're doing. Very much so. And we've talked about that so much Mm -hmm. with Belisarius' call and how he's definitely approaching mad scientists. So really, with the thing with Yavinos, with her wanting to study the orcs too, I was kind of like, well, this is definitely within the Mechanicus's idiot. Oh, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. Right. So, let me ask this, because that's a good segue into saying I liked when the Magos, when the biologist at the end was like, oh, yeah, no, we totally, there's like a culture to these guys, and do you feel that you better understand, first off, do you feel you better understand orcs? Yeah, I do. I mean, they're still terrifying, <laughs> and they reach your planet. It is kill. It's kill them or be killed for sure. But um, you know, at least I understand slightly what they're coming from. I mean, it's just for them. It's just constant fighting. That's just how it is. It's constant fighting and constant taking of other people's things. It's like early on in the book, we said, you know, we don't understand the humies why they would you know, decorate everything to be all shiny and then get all mad when people come and try to take it. Like, it's just like, like, okay, okay. So you're saying that people should be hiding their stuff, but then you get all mad when they do hide it. <laughs> so it's, it's really. A, They're kind of like children in that regard, right? Right. Yeah. Where like, this is stupid. Okay, so we fixed the stupid thing, but that's stupid too. Right. Like, <laughs> I want the thing. Um, I agree with you. And part of the, and that, this book did a really good job of that. They were funny. I understand them better. I understand their cult, like their culture a little bit better. I, I really liked that. But the oh, one. I had to find the, it. When, huh. when Zapha's talking to Adam Brown, she's like, culture. Magos, this is a poor time to jest. The largest orc rules is not the same thing as having culture. That cracked me up. And then when he's like, I have no sense of humor. (laughs) Um, Can we talk about the fact that the biologist's name is very close to Attenborough? (laughs) That made me laugh really hard. Well, I mean, (laughs) if we really want to get, you know, the subtlety of a two by four, I mean, look the name of the world it's Hephaisto I mean come on oh I thought it was great I was actually ready for Vulcan to come out of the volcano at that (laughs) point because you know why not right so one of the things though that I really liked about this book was that you get to understand their culture a little bit better The, the thought processes again I liked that you could understand how they rationaled like they were much more cerebral than I would have expected now granted it's very simplistic cerebral cerebrality well i mean it's pretty much that's shiny i want that therefore right, but again that's like mine. when they were pre- when they were presented with challenges the way they worked around them i thought that was really great but you don't lose he managed to make them funny while not losing the horror 
of right. these guys. Just to your point, I mean, there were scenes with just such casual violence where he talks about, and a lot of them were Skitari, right? But they're still semi-human in there. And so when he's talking about just like adding things aside with his snaz hammer, greatest name ever, yeah, by the way. Yeah, that's true. Um, but he talks about just batting things away and I was like, it's terrifying. This is absolutely terrifying. I mean, so I, I would run the other direction. Right. And the fact that they are so, they're just there to fight until it's over. Um, Pretty much, yeah. Let me ask you this. Do they make for compelling protagonists? Did you find effect to be a compelling person to follow? Well, yes, because only in the matter of what is this guy going to come up with next? Pretty much. He, I mean, because even you saw it in the short story, he comes up with some crazy-ass plans. I mean, one of the short story, it was nailing Humi bodies to this sheet of metal and just walk while carrying it pretty, while saying, don't mind us, we're just dim Humis here going for a walk. Yes, because that's kind of what they would sound like. Um, but then, But then again, you know, how he defeated the Titans was damn genius it was very clever and that's i think that's one of the things that's very interesting and also very scary and i think i've mentioned this before with um there's a david annandale short story that he wrote about commissar yarrick meeting uh thraka and thraka kind of has yarrick being tortured a bunch and um Yarrick keeps escaping and then they grab him and they string him back up and he escapes and rinse and repeat. And then finally, after they catch him like this last time, Thraka himself comes forward and he walks over and Yarrick is like, this is the most terrifying thing he's ever seen. Right. And Thraka speaks to him in perfect high Gothic and says, you are my greatest enemy. And then like says, like, I'll see you at the end battle or something like that. But <laughs> They talk like Yarrick, and because it, it's a Annandale, so it's wonderfully worded. But he talks about how Yarrick is just like terrified and traumatized to his core because he's like, This is an orc speaking perfect high gothic. And they've always kind of had this undercurrent of the thought of if the orcs, like if they live long enough and they start to get not only clever but progress to actually being intelligent, that's kind of scary. And well, they, they talked about that. it actually in the um, Shrike novel uh -huh. about the orcs live long enough because, you know, the whole, really the whole novel was about Shrike just finally defeating this one orc chieftain. But, um, but he talked about how, like, the longer the orcs live, not only the, do they get bigger, like, they're talking about the theories that the orcs never stop growing, but they just don't live past a certain point. Usually either they get overthrown or killed in battle or something. Right. But he even talked about, you know, because even when he finally faced him, he didn't speak perfect high Gothic or anything, but Shrike could understand him. So he could speak a little bit of Gothic. So there was the yes. whole thing of like the older they get, not only do the bigger they get, but because of how long they've lived and fought, they've learned so much. To become yes. much more intelligent. Which is scary. Because part of what makes you... They're a terrifying enemy in general. But part of what makes them maybe a little less... Maybe what makes a little less scary is... 
they're not very bright. They are kind of like children. And so when he, when Uthak is staring at the Hume Gargant, and which I can't even call it a Titan anymore. It's just a Gargant now. <laughs> um, which you guys, I was, I really, I love the Titanicus in general, the Legio Titanicus. So when they, in, when they, we didn't talk about that. That'll come up in a second. But when they talked about the princeps and then, you know, the two controllers and they're sitting there talking. Oh, my God. I was so in love with them. And I was so excited we were going to get chapters from their point of view. Kilt. Oh, yeah. But when Uthak's looking at that and he pieces together, because at first, even I wasn't really following his, like, they didn't reveal what his plan was going to be. So when he pulls it off, you're right. Like, it was, it was not only clever it definitely skirted on being downright smart and and stupid at the same time because of oh, crazy yeah. <laughs> um okay so i absolutely loved the squig in general was amazing the squig was hilarious named princess or not the squig was hilarious and he named it princess because he can read mm -hmm. but clearly not that well because he doesn't get princeps uh when he can <laughs> princess a squig named princess you guys i've never wanted a squig so badly or just like a dog to name princess is an inside joke no it was it was amazing um but he was very compelling as a protagonist because he was a little smarter than the average bear and we got to the end of the book and we'll talk more about this but i really wanted to see more of him because yeah he's he's interesting and he's fun I like how he treated Princess kind of like, um, oh man, that Death Guard with Pazuz. Yeah. Korag. Yes, Korag, yes. So he just kind of treated it. And uh, the thing that was funny about him reading was he was like, you know, he was able to understand. He's like, but the letters, they just make sounds instead of concepts. How dumb is this? Loved that. Absolutely like, okay. loved that. Well, because, yeah, most of their stuff is more like like the universal no symbol, right? It's more like, yeah. It, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yes, that one definitely cracked me up with him. And the when he's talking to the squig and he's like, who's a good squig? <laughs> this is amazing. All right. So we were presented with two pretty big mysteries in this book. So the first one, there's the box and the artifact. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and just accept the explanation for why they never realized that there was an Iron Warrior warpsmith living on their planet. Okay, so did the Iron Warrior surprise you? You know what? A little bit, yeah, because they I figured it was a dark Mechanicum guy in the beginning. Because remember, they don't really tell they don't give you any hint about who he is, and he wants to avenge a fallen Titan. So I figured he was a Titan personnel or he was just some dark mechanicus guy because I was actually a little surprised that an iron warrior would be that emotionally invested in a titan. Really? The yeah. Legion of Bitter Men? They hold grudges, man. They are very bitter and you are the reason. It's <laughs> <laughs> not we my fault they're the, they're the Legion of Shitty Doors, so... We watch that text-to-speech video, like, bi-weekly in my house, because it comes, it comes up a lot, 
where like I'll say something like I'm very bitter and you are the reason <laughs> my husband will absolutely be like I know and I don't care <laughs> my daughter will pop in with you smell like dirt and entitlement <laughs> it's a big classic here because the iron warriors are my favorite um, I was a little surprised though that it was a warp smith I would have expected maybe a war smith so I was surprised Smith surprised me I was just surprised there was a uh, Astartes there at all Right? Because I figured there was more than enough going on. But hey, let's throw in a very angry, of course they're all angry, but even more angry Iron Warrior who happens to know how to summon <laughs> demons. Well, he's a warp smith. Well, not to right. be confused with the war smith, which I that's, get. I kind of would have expected the war smith given this, but okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> but of course, because I love the Iron Warriors, I was so excited when it was revealed it was an Iron Warrior. I was like, <gasps> so awesome. Yeah, I like that she um, was like analyzing him and she talked about the uh, the iron skull on his chest plate. I'm like, oh, I bet Jen was happy when she got to this part. So happy. I, um, I love the Iron Warriors. I was a little surprised by him, though. So that was kind of interesting. I, I had a moment of, why though and then immediately it was replaced with cool <laughs> um, why not <laughs> why the hell not it, in this book why the hell not um i so let's talk though about the box and the artifact because he was very interested in both first off he wanted the box that was specifically why he made the deal with the demon engine which we'll talk about here in a minute um but First, let's start with the box. We didn't really get to see the box. We know that it's Archaeotech. We know that it controlled the volcano and kept it mm -hmm. kept it at bay. Why would an iron warrior want that? Why did they do anything? I don't know. Well, so the iron warriors, though, of all of the traitor legions, and yes, I'm wholly biased here because I love the iron warriors, they always seem the most logic driven and they're definitely the most resource driven, right? Like I don't get the impression that they're just collectors of oddities. Like they no, seem no. to, he definitely saw value in it, but I can't figure out what it would be or why, like to what end would he use something that could control a volcano? Well, I can think of a few reasons. I mean, so, uh, well, because I read, um, I'm going to get this book name wrong. I think it's of iron, of honor and iron. Right. And so that was a, you know, ultramarines versus iron warriors round 11 fight type of situation. And basically the iron warriors were on this planet because they were, they came back. Because they, right. they just came out of the rift and now they're back and they're pissed. Because the ultramarines originally ran them off this planet. And they were just like, look, right. we were just fleeing and just like, dude, we're, we're out of this. Like, they even talk about how they were angry with Paturbo for turning to chaos <laughs> like he did and just leaving. And that, and that they had left Terra before them. So they were just kind of open, just like, we're just going to be here and lay low and live out our days. But nope, the ultramarines came in and ran them out and chased them into the eye. So, big shock, they're bitter. 
and they're planning <laughs> revenge. So one thing that they know is on this planet because they left it there is a bunch of weapons of mass destruction. Right. And they are planning on getting them to unleash on the ultramarines later. So I could totally see him wanting this thing under the volcano so they can learn about it because, you know, they do they do like building things and then destroying things. But they do like building in the process. Yeah. Uh, finding maybe That's other fair. ways to either go against the ultramarines or just take over another planet for funsies. It also could have been his vendetta against the Titans. Maybe he's out to go figure out how to do this on every Forge world. That's entirely possible because... Um, that was part of why he was able to bind Takanaroth to the pl- to the demon engine was when he said, like, because remember, Takanaroth was like, the pl- whole planet will be destroyed by this? And he's like, yes. And Takanaroth's like, you got a deal. So you're absolutely right. It could have just been resource denial. Like, he mm-hmm. knew that if I take the box, this whole planet goes to, to hell. So let's talk um, much more... Uh, hypothetical. This artifact. First off, we know that it's partially Eldari, but they suggest that maybe it's not fully Eldari. So, and we know that it has a Noosphere presence. I mean, it's most likely it started off as Eldari and it's some Mechanicus add-on. That's what I would think. (sighs) Could be Mechanicus. Could be Necron, perhaps. Well, could be. So, although I say the demon did not have nice things to say about Necrons either, that was kind of funny. Oh my gosh! Well, that demon, man, you want to talk about Judgy McJudgerson? He had strong opinions. He had strong opinions on all of the lesser creatures, Um, even about you know the the. The demon gods, because you can talk about the hated changer. I mean, <laughs> oh, okay, see where your allegiance is. Horn doesn't really like Zinch. Nobody really likes Zinch, if we're being say. honest. Um, <laughs> they, they, none of them really like each other, but he really doesn't like uh, Zinch. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah, his opinions on everything were great. But, so, with the artifact, first off, the presence being in the noosphere and kind of running away from the dark, the Iron Warrior, maybe abominable intelligence, maybe something smart, or so. Here's the two things that I can't figure out: Do you think it was a sentient thing, or do you think it was some other, I don't know, Necron, Eldar, whatever, utilizing the device and then trying to talk through? Well, whatever it is, it's got some chaos to it for the fact that the Iron Warrior said it was calling him. Well, that's the other question. Why would it be calling him? Or maybe it was just, it was emitting this certain, you know, I don't know, noise or whatever that only he could hear. So here's why I'm thinking it's an AI. Because remember, he talks about how it was calling him. And he noticed it and he was like, nobody else would really know this. Notice this thing. So I'm wondering if it had been calling out to anyone. And the Iron Warrior just happened to find it and mm-hmm. the thing wanted it to be found. Like, this guy's going to get me off this planet. Thank God. <laughs> going to get me out of this basement in the shoebox. Right. 
Right? This woman's closet. Basically, her secret closet that has the little lever thing that he just... Right? <laughs> I did like what she was like, oh. <laughs> like, why, why did you do the thing? Because why solve problems that you can punch through? A very orky thought. There is to be to fair. <laughs> but... So, Zephyr got off the planet with it. Good thing? Bad thing? Indifferent thing? Who knows? I was... I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that something comes out of that because it'd be disappointing that it was just this random thing that's been forgotten about. Yes. But, I mean, that may not even be Mike Brooks's fault. I mean, obviously, we have learned it's all up to the uh, editors what gets approved right so if they don't care about this thing or they don't see how this thing will fit in with their lore it may not you know go anywhere but it'd be fun to see if it does and now whether the orcs get involved or not i wouldn't mind seeing mike brooks write more mechanicus right actually i would so i'm actually kind of torn on this because on one hand i really want to see more of and i want to see more zepha zepha I'm not necessarily sure I want to see them together. Well, I think like, I almost I, want this to diverge into two separate yeah, books. Yeah, I mean, I think their time has passed. Like, the likelihood right. of these orcs... They crossed like ships. Right, I mean, that these orcs would find that Mechanicus again are pretty unlikely. I mean, in the case of Shrike, it took him hundreds of years in between each encounter, and he was actively hunting him. It's a little different Right. And, and Uthak is not actively hunting her. No, they were bummed that he got off, but they have all these weapons plans, which at first I was reading this book and I was like, oh, this isn't going to end with a call to Robbie Bobby. No, I don't but know But the fact that they, well, the fact that A, we lost the Forge World and B, we lost like what I'm assuming were a whole lot of Primaris weapon blueprints to the orcs. Of all people to lose them to. Well, but they turned him into, you know, <laughs> or I, like, weapons. I like how they talked about, you know, the Humi armor it was just, you know, so ugly. It's not even functional when like all the orc stuff looks like something that a two year old, you know, pasted together with glue. But, you know, so it, I don't think Robbie Bobby's gonna be too unhappy with that. And she did say <laughs> she got most of her research off and Please, I'm sure Belisarius call. I'm imagining these people have backups to their backups to their backups. Oh, somewhere. I have no doubt. Yeah, I have no doubt that they're going to get away with that. But I did find it interesting. And I, I hope that we do get to see that because I was very curious about it. And actually, when Dalen died, my first thought was, oh, I don't, I'm not going to find out what the artifact is. Because she's not going to piece it together. She doesn't have the she doesn't have the tools and the information available to piece it together, right? And ah, oh, but maybe that's her story that starts her down this dark, heretic path. Isn't that how that always goes with the Mechanicus? That was my first thought too. Actually, that oh shoot, if she starts going th down this path now, investigating this piece of tech, like what are the chances that then she gets corrupted or you know her heretical so it's almost like none of these people and i'm going to blame the inquisition for this just because if they had read about the fall of mars 
They knew what really happened at the fall of Mars and the heresy. And if they knew what really happened to Magnus, if they even acknowledged <laughs> there's Magnus. Right. The moral of the story here is trying to get all the knowledge you can leads to the dark side. And, you know, I quote Star Wars here for right. you. That was even mentioned. I know that Jen doesn't talk about the prequels, but that was actually very heavily mentioned in the prequels when Palpatine is talking to Anakin. He doesn't say it as much, but he was basically talking about, you know, you know, he learned so much. He ended up, you know, to prevent death, he ended up getting killed over it. But it's not a story the Jedi would tell you. Right. Yeah, well, right. Because it, because he's harnessing in, he wants the Anakin believes that he's smarter than everybody in the room. And he's destined to be better than everybody in the room. So he's got that thirst for knowledge. It's just, a lot of these are such cautionary tales about, you know, if you look too far into the abyss. I mean, hell, if you look at, I know you don't like this movie either, but Star Wars Episode Eight, when Luke is training Rey and she sees the pit and she actually starts to go into it and he throws water on her. He's like, you weren't even going to examine it. You were just going to go dive head in. It's that same thing. It's like, well, I, but I want to know what that is. No. You have well, to learn what's around you first. Part of me wonders if the Mechanicus are particularly vulnerable to this. Because uh, I think... After reading <laughs> Mechanicum, absolutely. Because all that it took was to dangle that one nugget from the Fabricator General that, oh, I can get you into those forbidden vaults doesn't matter what's in there right but i can get you to them not just that but the fact that these guys like and here was one of the things in this book that particularly grabbed my attention was and we saw this a little bit you saw it a little bit in the belisarius call book but this one i felt like really mentioned it when she talked about them not going into each other's quarters because and not just because of heretical things but because you don't want to see, like, you don't want to let other people see what you're working on, lest they take credit for it. So the fact that A, they prize knowledge above all else, and B, they hoard and guard it jealously. And so I feel as though, kind of like the Inquisition, there's even less checks and balances on them, so that if they do start going down a dark path, there's nobody to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no. Not only are they kept in the dark from their history, you don't have anybody to recognize because they're guarding that knowledge that they're finding. It was the same thing in the book Mechanicum. I mean, yeah. the, the, I can't even say that the she's not the lead protagonist, but the mechanic, the adept that takes the lead protagonist in, the stuff that she's working on, that was horrible. That was absolutely horrible. But yeah. she was keeping that totally a secret from everybody because, again, because of all the credit. So, I mean, this is just kind of in their idiom. They're so very much so so thirsty for this knowledge. It's and you know it's those skeletons in the closet. They just it is. they let anybody in. They got to shove everything into that one closet. It's like, oh no, no, don't open it because if you open it, you know the comedic thing of everything's going to fall on you. It's going to happen. But yes. It will. Very just, much so. But uh, just in, you know, possible horrible research. <laughs> also, there's an arrogance oh, in the God, mechanic yes. as well. 
And I think a big part of it comes from, and I, actually an interesting point that I want to talk a little bit more about here in a second that I forgot about until now, but a big part of it is that, well, because we are so far removed from human emotion and baser desires and baser thought patterns, we are elevated higher. And ergo, if we want to pursue knowledge, then it must be the good path because because we are logical and pragmatic and everything we are logical we pragmatic people and you know who actually handled this really well was rachel harrison's um the way out audio which if you haven't listened to that go listen to it it's beautiful but there is a and this isn't totally going to spoil it there's a mechanicus adept in there a tech adept who she She's at the edge of something, of investigating something, and she knows. She even talks about how she knows that if she goes too far, she's hosed. But knowledge is its own reward, mm -hmm. and you cannot leave a you cannot leave a question unanswered. That's just illogical. So even if it meant her death, and I, I like. It was one of those things, this is what you reminded me, when we used to watch Boardwalk Empire, you said that you would watch a lot of the episodes and there was a female character in there that they never knew what to do with, Margaret. And you were always like, Margaret, no! At the end there, when she was like, oh, thank God, my artifact's on the ship. I was like, Zaytha, no! Man, you know, <laughs> do, do it! The whole Margaret, no, I could... Man, I could do that the entire Horus Heresy, what I've been reading so far. It, oh know, my god! Horus, no! Fulgrim, no! I mean, just... <laughs> Don't touch that! Story over! Right? <laughs> Magnus, no! I mean, just... Yeah. Just, oh. Don't touch the warp! Okay, Dad. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> right? Story's over! We're all good now! But, you know, but, um, but we could even say that the Emperor... Because, you know, one thing that Magnus talked about in uh, a thousand sons was that he wanted to prove to his dad so badly that he knew more than him because look at how smart i am won't you be so proud of me because he's like well my dad doesn't know anything about this you know what that might be true the emperor may not have that knowledge but that's because the emperor is wise enough not to seek it and it really is one thing i really saw in thousand sons was the difference between knowledge and wisdom and i see this i saw the same thing in mechanicum and i'm seeing the same thing here it's like when do you just go the extra edge too very far? very much well and that's one of the common things in dungeons and dragons you have an intelligence stat and you right. have a wisdom stat oh that's and, interesting um, i did not know that you do. And the joke, so that people remember, there's this big, there's this wonderful thing how you can remember the stats based on tomatoes. And one of them, for intelligence, intelligence is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that tomatoes do not belong in fruit salad. So, okay. You know what? I love that. <laughs> the difference between dexterity is how quickly you can dodge a tomato that's been thrown at you. Um, so, so what is strength? How fast, how fast you can squish a tomato? Strength is how hard you can throw a tomato. Mm -hmm. uh, constitution is how well you can handle eating a rotten tomato. <laughs> 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 and then uh, charisma is selling a tomato-based fruit salad. <laughs> so there you go. So, but yes, this is the best definition of the difference a, between intelligence and wisdom. Those are a stat for defense. So it'd be like how much you could take being hit by a tomato. So depending on your class, that's based off of your strength or your dexterity. Got it. 
So, yeah. But anyways, always one of my favorite things about the difference between intelligence and wisdom. And a lot of times, I think with the Mechanicus, they're definitely intelligence. Maybe, and Belisarius Call, I think, defines this better than any others. Oh my god, yes. Very intelligent. Not necessarily as wise as you would like to see. Um, right. So here's the thing that I wanted to mention really quickly that I thought was very interesting in this book. And I know, so both Secular Matranda and Addenbrough, they identified as the they, them pronouns, which as I read it, I suddenly was like, so I'm an old, I found their chapters very difficult to follow because in, especially in the end there, you had single they from Atranda, single they for Adam Brown, and then plural they when all three of them were moving. So it was just constantly they, 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 they. And I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. But okay. it's suddenly done. Totally missed Adam Brown went as they. He did as well. Yeah. Sorry, they did as, they well. Did as well. And then um, in in the first few chapters from Matranda, it was very hard to, because there was singular they going oh up God. a stairwell, but then plural they were going up a different so wall, and then they I attacked, had, and then they attacked. I had to read Matranda's, like, opening, like, pages a couple of times, because I got so confused as to what was going right. on. And then I was like, oh, Matranda is a <laughs> they. Identifies as they, which, but here's the thing. That's, that's not confusing. So, by the way, this is actually why I'm a very, it, it, part of it is because I'm a linguistics major, but the other part of it is because I, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm an old, but I do have trouble with the plural pronoun as a singular because it was hard to follow narratively. I'm a big supporter of Z's, M's, or, or because it's singular. V's, this. Or the V's. Yes, that also yeah. I'm a supporter of. But it suddenly dawned on me. Why don't all of the Mechanicus. Like, you would think that it would be a thing of where all the Mechanicus would identify as they, and it would be a, an odd quirk if they didn't. Like, Belisarius Call would definitely identify as he, and well, that would just be one of his weird quirks. Oh, uh, right? it could Whoa. be whatever personality he's incorporating that day. There is also that. But, I, like, I think it would be an interesting, because a lot of the Mechanicus, they talk about how, and once you get into the Night Lord series, their Mechanicus is fabulous because he has these glass eyes that weep oil. And every now and then he's sitting there and they're crying oil. And um, the Night Lords are like, God, that's weird affectation. Like, why would, why? And so I think that would actually be a really interesting thing if you had a, a tech priest who was like, I am she or I am he. Like, because of their their whole flesh is weak and we are logical and we are above base desires, gender identification is definitely rooted in flesh and kind of a baser thing, right? Like, it suddenly yeah, dawned on I mean, me that I was like, you'd think that they would all be they. Right, and I, because I think I texted you and I was just like, wait, Matranda's a they? I'm so confused. And then you made a comment you're like, yes, but it makes sense. And I was like, oh, my God, she's right. It does make sense. I mean, the reason why I said it was confusing, it was just because I got lost in the, right. in the conversation. But I mean, you're absolutely right, because especially since they talk about how most of them, like the only flesh they might have is maybe on their face and on their, right. their chests because they still have some of their organs. Right. So without um, 
you know, if their lord's torsos don't have any parts, then why would they be a they? Right, and again, they just there's so much there's so much mention of being above all of that kind of stuff. Right. So it actually it dawned on me. I was like, whoa, like I really did have this moment of, and even my husband was like, that's a really good question. Why aren't they all yeah non-binary? Because and, and not even Makes like sense. not even non-binary, but just not having not having it. I don't even know what that like the absence. I'm I sure there's a terminology like, for it. Just it just doesn't matter, right? And so that actually it's I had this like, like major like. That's it's, a really good point. it's not like they're reproducing. Not only that, it's not like, and and we've always said that Warhammer 40k is the most feminist of science fiction universes. But even I feel like the Mechanicus are arguably the most feminist because they really did it it really doesn't matter it doesn't matter and so that was one of those things where i was like whoa and so when they met addenbrow and he and they also identified as they they were he was using he mike brooks was using the they them pronouns for them i was like oh yeah it's all so weird now zafa i could see zafa identifying as she i really could well that and uh ivrana same thing yeah very much so but like Illator, Illator, yeah, maybe. But oh, I would have seen Capatinos. Oh, I would have seen him being, yeah, they them could be. Yeah, it was just it was one of those things where I was like, oh, that's a really good point. So let me ask you this: Where do the characters go from here? Uthak, they're just uh, gonna I mean, go find. Here we another, go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh yeah, they're just gonna go find another planet to go cramping on and steal the loot. So, but now he's a big boss. Right. He's a big boss. He gets I did like when they were on the edge of the volcano and he's like, I could just push him in. Slide on down. And then all of a sudden he's like, he could just push me in. So he takes takes a step back. That- they both take a step back. Yeah. Thought that was funny. Um But he's a big he's a big boss now. Yes, he can lead the knobs now. But that was in- I loved when he realized that when he's like, oh, big bosses give orders to knobs. <laughs> But where did Zafa go from here? Uh, I did well, think that was really a, funny. Uh, by fabricator the way. general. So. I thought that was hysterical when she when um she was like, "Well, everybody's dead," and Brown was like, "So then there needs to be another master biologist." Well, yes, that would be me. That makes you fabricator general. And I couldn't figure out if that was just logical. Like if they're that right. cold and they're just like, "Well, there's a vacancy, and now we must do this," because I know he doesn't have a sense of humor, but. It seemed a little opportunist. Like, well, yeah, it reminded me of Isma not getting any better. <laughs> you know, honestly, I just so Adenbrow came across to me as someone that needs order. Yes, I mean, very much so. They didn't even know the planet was under attack. Like, they come out yelling at Zepha for being disturbed from studies. That cracked me up when she was like, "Do you not know what's going on?" And they think for a second and go, oh, I see. Right. And that was the fact that that was their only response to that was, I see. I really think it was just a matter of, uh, like, they just needed that alpha dog. They needed leadership. And, well, I'm the only bio- biologist here. And so it's me. 
So, yeah. And so and you outrank me already because you're already on the high council. So fabricator general, right? I mean, that makes more sense. <laughs> and I, I did like her. She's like, yes. yes. She's like, wait, what? I guess so. Okay. <laughs> so now she's a fabricator general. I mean, and I don't know how this works. Do I don't you know how this works and- either because it's just the two of them. Where are they going to go? Do you I- just show up at a forge world and they're like, oh. Okay, you're the boss now. Are, or... they, are they just going to wait till the orcs leave and then come back? The volcano's going to make pretty good work of that. I mean, I don't know. Do you just get assigned to Forge World? Do they build a new Forge World for you? Maybe? Does she, I don't know. Do they go to Mars and be like, we need a new Forge World, please? <laughs> right. And Mars is like, <sighs> or does she like, yeah, did they get assigned somewhere? I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I also would, I would really like her and Matranda to stay together, though. Yeah. Because I liked I like Matranda a lot. Oh, I loved Matranda. I thought Matranda was such a compelling character. Again, because slightly different flavor of Mechanicus. Very logical, but in a warrior mentality. Right. Space marine but even, like, colder. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, and um, when Ilatar was telling Matranda, you know, you need to go attack them. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, right. We're going to die if if we do that. I gave you an order. But that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah, and I even liked it when they, uh, when Zepha was explaining to Addenbrow why she did what she did. Right. And, she's, and she said, well, um, Matranda can back me up and Adam looks over at Matranda. Matranda's like, well, I can definitely confirm about Ool. I don't, I don't got anything. <laughs> this is like, I'm just saying what I saw. I'm not going to get in the right. middle of this. <laughs> and to be fair, he did see a demon engine, which was he did. terrifying uh, yeah. to see. And I did, I felt bad for Ool, but I also... And again, back to that whole conversation about them being okay. their own worst enemies. Ull the fact that he wasn't to have known this was an iron warrior, or at least a traitor Astartes. He had well, but again, maybe that's one of those things where, and this is where I think that, I think she was potentially correct with him. Maybe not, maybe not realizing he was a heretic, but absolutely being a heretic. That in his in his desire for knowledge something presented himself and i'm sure he was like well he can't be all evil i mean because he can give me me, right yeah he's trying to give me a technological advance and so maybe that's okay um (laughs) yeah uh oh my god the demon engine was terrifying and the fact that oh yeah they didn't even question it but again i think that just goes back to that whole conversation of the arrogance of the quest for knowledge that they mm-hmm. have yeah i kind of like so, how dalen was like yeah just sit up there just one minute <laughs> yeah just chill yeah so i will say i am very very glad that we read this book this was so hysterically funny yep and i think it was probably the best book we could have read before our next book ah uh, yes we're doing if a this Halloween theme here, Halloween thing. Um, if this was nonstop action and funny, this is going to be Debbie Downer. I can tell already. Well, I mean, 
we got the sororitas. So that's already not very uplifting. Pretty much. I mean, she's not even a battle sister. So that's... So, like, the badass. She was. Well, but you know what I mean. She's not in battle. I know what you she's mean. She's not in battle plate. She's not stabbing things. It's not that I have to have people stabbing things. But generally with the battle sisters, if you're not stabbing things, you're boring and are a real downer. Like, you just slit in your wrists the whole time. Exactly. The whole time. And so, and I will say, full disclosure. So, I have tried. You can tell that I, I bought this book. When it first came out, this is the hardcover. Um, <laughs> I bought my book this week. We are reading this book because somebody, a couple of somebody's, I think, actually requested and said that we should do something for Halloween, which is a brilliant idea. It's all for you, Damien. Um, it's a brilliant idea. I love it. I think it's going to be perfect for Halloween. This was going to be my third time attempting to read this book. So. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that um, I don't have high hopes. I, I actually have, been, I have toyed with writing an article about this for the site because on paper this book should be everything that I would ever want to read in a book for Warhammer 40k. And I've gotten the furthest I got into it. Let's see where my last page is marked. The furthest that I got into it was 130 pages. And this is I'm like, gonna have to start over to be like clear. I'm gonna have to start over. Page book. So I'm not, yeah. the reason why I'm not looking forward to it is because if Jen can't get into a horror book, I feel like I have no chance. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not that we always like the same things either. So, no, no, it's not that we always do. But and if this is entirely possible that this is one of those books that you're going to read and you're going to love it. I'll put, and, I'll put it this way. This would be like me trying to read a Dark Angels or Alpha Legion book that I had trouble getting into. And Jen's like, well, I don't want to read that. <laughs> Pretty like a Blood Angels book. If you were like, like yeah. if we were reading a Mephiston book and you were like, oh my God, I, had, I could, I've tried and failed this book. So, but I do love the idea of reading. Actually, we do need to read this too because he, Peter Ferrari is Ferrari he's not a car uh is coming out with <laughs> um he's coming out with a blood angels book for halloween uh, damn it so all right i know i know so we're gonna get it i don't know if we'll read it this year we probably will because the release schedule is still kind of a little sluggish because of the covids um but we should definitely get into him we haven't touched peter fahavari yet has he so written anything else i mean he I... did he wrote um never heard of he wrote it. a towel book Oh, Firecast? Oh. Okay. Firecast. Sure, sure. Firecast. Somebody keep me straight there. <laughs> I'm um, looking, looking to you, Skywatcher. Right of the Spiral Dawn and the Firecast. Yes! That's it. Yeah, he wrote Firecast. Um, Is it cast or cased? Because with Tau Empire, I bet that's cased. Oh, it could be. I always assumed it was cast because, you know, they strike me as the type of assholes who would have a cast system, but I don't know. Always, I'll be honest. Okay, I, I don't always know. called it a cased system, so that's what I was. That's how I've always been taught to pronounce it. Oh. Well, okay, won't argue that one. Um, we, I work with a bunch of people from India, and they have a very strong opinions on the caste system. Oh, I'm um, sure. <laughs> but anyways, so I'm really excited for it. Uh, this is going to be our Halloween episode. It should be. When are we? When do we podcast that one? 
Uh, it's like close to, right? Well, closer. That's it's the 22nd, so that's perfect. Yeah, 22nd, so it's like, yeah, right right before it. Yep, yep. So we'll um, we'll have to wear witches' hats or something. I don't know. We'll do something with spooky, scary sororitas. I got nothing there. Maybe so, I'll do you draw, take us out, Carrie? Maybe I'll draw the tattoo. <gasps> Ooh, nice little flirtily yep. right there. Okay, we are doing that. We are doing that. We are getting the flirtily on our face. I'll find some sort of temporary tattoo for us. I was like, because you're gonna have me draw it, it's gonna look like shit. Or um, I or I can't draw I'll just take this and Sorry, just like um, I can't draw flirtilies, which is a real problem when your family's from Louisiana. Well, I can't draw anything but stick figures, so it's all good. Pretty much, pretty much. And even then, so... they're, they're pretty shitty, so. Want to take us out, Carrie? I sure will. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Brutal Cunning by Mike Brooks. Be sure to listen to our list. You guys, there's a reason why Big Steve is joining me tonight. (laughs) It's been a week. Ah, Be sure to join us for our next book, Infernal Requiem by Peter Fehervari. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on literally anywhere you can get podcasts. (laughs) So exciting. I know, right? Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com wh40k book club. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.